I'm your host, Cynthia Dill. With me in the studio today is Lance Stutson, Republican strategist. Welcome, Lance Stutson. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I don't know if you saw in today's paper that the lab is once again the most popular dog. <laughs> uh, and I know that you are a lab owner, right? Uh, yeah, very proud lab owner. That, that was probably a very easy contest, I think. Well, I'm a proud lab owner, too. And so I thought I'd start the podcast on this common ground that we have right. around uh, yellow labs. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting that one of the things they attribute the lab's popularity, uh, or a couple of the things are, an amiable personality along with the ability to sniff out bombs. <laughs> and I was gonna ask, since you are one of the leading <laughs> political consultants, don't you think if you could capture those traits in a that, candidate, you'd have a winner? That's perfect, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I can teach my dog how to sniff out bombs, we'll be, we'll be in good shape. <laughs> I know, I, I, I have some doubts about Marley, but you know, I think probably in a pinch, she'd pull through. <laughs> Um, well, thanks for um, joining my podcast. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your business because I think it's fascinating. Um, you are a consultant and uh, do communications for campaigns. Yes. And um, in case you haven't heard, we are about to or we have already started embarking on the next presidential election season as well as of course Senator Collins up for being you know reelected so I can't help but think that obviously you when you're speaking are not only voicing I think what is your belief and I'll let you comment on that but you're also marketing yourself is that fair I guess so although I think sometimes I think I'm doing the opposite of that um, you know it's it's tricky to run a business where you represent um, political figures and also carry your own point of view out there. Um, you know, it's, it's particularly in my journey over the last you know decade or decade and a half with the Republican Party. It's um, it's been tricky at times, but yeah, I do a lot of different things. I do political campaign work, and I also do stuff for private sector clients. And you know, um, well, I guess what I was going to ask you is just, um, and I think people would be interested in knowing this, is like if you're good at your job, which you are. Are you, when you're creating, you, you prepare for your remarks, it's obvious in what you say and what you write. You're a, a professional communicator. And so what I'm wondering is, are, do, do you prepare your remarks with the idea that there may be a candidate looking for somebody like you, like to, to, to put people's aspirations into words and giving by example, like what you could be for a campaign? Or do you think it's... I don't, I don't honestly, I don't really think about that. I mean, I, you know, you always think about who you're going to alienate, I think is a defensive thing. But, you know, I um, have gone through a lot of different uh, phases of my political career. And I'm at a point right now where the thing that matters to me most is to be able to be honest. And that's a hard thing to do in politics. When you work as a political operative, generally you're, you know, you're shilling for somebody who's paying you. Can I ask, was that not always the case? Was honesty not always? Your, well, I mean, and um, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm right. just wondering if you had some experience that somehow enlightened you or... Well, I think not anything, not any one particular thing, but I felt, especially the early stages of, of our last governor's tenure, um, a very strong kind of, I don't want to say moral, but like ethical um, conflict in supporting uh, candidates that are affiliated with, with LePage or with Trump now. 
and um, and you know what that means to the world that we live in and what it means you know to me as a human being you know I live in Portland Maine I always make this joke but I'm a Republican in Portland Maine I don't put campaign signs in my front yard I don't put bumper stickers on my car because I you know I, I'm I joke that I'm afraid my tires are gonna get slashed this is not a very Republican area but one of the things that's always driven me crazy about being affiliated with Republicans is as the party has kind of gotten more crazy, I guess for lack of a better term, it's harder and harder to be open about who you are and what you do, especially if you live in a place that's, you know, tends to be more democratic or progressive like Portland. And so my feeling is... <laughs> Try being a white woman from Cape Elizabeth. <laughs> There's a few stereotypes that go along with that. Sure. I mean, you, but I, I understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. you, you're fighting now a stereotype that's pretty awful. It is, and and also I believe that at least for for me and my wing of the Republican Party, it's not accurate. And so, you know, I think that the normal tendency for political operatives is to kind of glom onto a cause or a candidate or a group and follow in lockstep. But I think that any everybody who works in politics, anybody who speaks publicly in the political realm is an ambassador for their cause, whether they they believe that or not. You know, that's how the average person who isn't plugged into politics learns about politics is from people like us that run our mouths on the radio or on podcasts or in the newspaper. And so that's our opportunity to change those stereotypes. And I feel very strongly that I don't want people to think I'm a, a racist, that I'm sexist, that I don't like poor people, and I'm not compassionate toward people in my community. And so I think it's very important, especially as a Republican, to speak out very strongly against those things so that you can fight the stereotypes of other people who maybe don't do that so well. So when you you have been making the rounds, you've been on a few um, television shows as well as on the radio, you have a weekly column, and in preparation of today's interview, I, you know, listened and read, and, and I'm, I'm hearing some talking points, and I mean that in a respectful way, you, you, you've been saying this, sort of beating this drum, that moderates have to speak up, there's almost a duty to speak truth to power within your own mm -hmm. party. I guess what I'm wondering is, who are you hoping, like, at, in your business, I mean, you have to support your family being a sure. consultant, mm -hmm. so you have to work. I'm just wondering, like, who are you hoping to reel in as a client, like a presidential candidate or a Senate? I mean, who, who do you think this message would um, attract in terms of your business? Well, gosh, I don't, I don't really think of it that way. But, you know, I think that what you said earlier is something that I really believe in strongly, that moderates, and I don't mean moderates by necessarily um, where they are in the ideological spectrum, but more in people, how people um, <laughs> behave. behave, yeah, and how, how they engage in the political process. Um, that's the kind of people that I want to help and to work with. You know, it's people that are looking at improving the world around them rather than isolating or creating more tribalism. Or Does it have to be a Republican? Like, do you feel like as a Republican strategist, like, for instance, you said you're a resident of mayor. Well, so far, mm -hmm. there's been a few candidates who have announced mm -hmm. in the mayoral race uh, that they're going to challenge Ethan Strimling. I'm hoping to interview all of them. Mm -hmm. I've spoken with Spencer. I've spoken with Mayor Strimling. Why not run for mayor? Are is Lance Dutson ever going to run for mayor? No, I but don't. That's it's that's not. That's not who you are. But no. is there a candidate who you could see running that Republican or Democrat for the mayoral race in Portland? 
Well, uh, no, I don't have one yet. I I think it's, well, I think it's a little bit early, but, um, you know, Portland's a a hard place for someone who's a fiscal conservative to thrive politically, I think. I've never met anyone who, it doesn't say they're a fiscal conservative. I've never met anyone who who doesn't say they are. Every Mm -hmm. progressive would probably even say, well, I'm fiscally conservative, but socially progressive. Right. Well, I guess that term's been worn out a little bit then, I yeah. guess. You know, um, I, I like uh, Mayor Strimling. Uh, I, I consider him a friend. I think uh, that he is an extremely talented politician. Um, I don't agree with him on a lot of his policies. Um, and I think that there's been controversy that maybe was unnecessary since he's been in office. Um, I think very highly of Spencer Thibodeau, and I actually think that, that the city council, a lot of the folks have talked about running as well, um, does a pretty good job. That's within the constraints of, um, of, of what I think one could reasonably expect as a Republican in Portland. Um, what I, my ultimate candidate that I would like to see in Portland is someone that's probably connected to the business community a little bit more. And there's a, a niche that I think, I, I actually believe that in, in the state of Maine more broadly, that there's more of these people than are represented politically, but folks who are, and maybe we won't use the term fiscally conservative, but who are business friendly or who who understand that capitalists. the economy. Yeah, capitalists, right. <laughs> who understand that the economy works and that, you know, essentially, like Kennedy said, the rising tide lifts all boats, right? That that's And that's something I believe in very strongly, too, that the answer to the opiate problem, the answer to homelessness, the answer to our healthcare problem lies. Government has has a, a huge role in that, but the business community also has a big role in that. And the more successful our economy is, the more resources we potentially would have to fix these problems. And I think that sometimes the people who are more um, uh, in the in government or bureaucracy or political world and not connected directly to the business world sometimes don't have that that uh, firm a um, a belief in in that same thing. Well, I think people who are not connected to the economy don't have a grip on reality when it mm-hmm. comes to making public policy. I, I just think that unless you have some experience in the economy uh, mm-hmm. as a private person. I think it's really difficult to have perspective. But do you think that capitalism and capitalists are going to be the next um, cool thing in politics? Like, I wonder in the days ahead, since people are getting so sick of the partisan uh, separate, you know, separation, Mm -hmm. Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, progressives, uh, I I wonder if going into the next election, how moderates are going to kind of re- cast themselves are is going to be around capitalism since I can already sense that the Republican talking point that they're trotting out mm-hmm. for the next election cycle is this socialism scare like right, socialism sure, sure. now is the enemy mm-hmm. right? right I mean AOC she's one of 435 members from New York I mm-hmm. mean she hardly poses a threat to the capitalist system right. but all of a sudden she's like the face of some campaign do you yeah. do you do you agree with me that socialism is going to be what Republicans are going to like kind of hammer in the in the next cycle? I think so, and I think it's a it's an opportunity that Democrats have given Republicans that they probably shouldn't have. I mean, you know, there's there's this kind of interesting idea of um, of academic thought versus reality thought, and 
you know, could you sit back in a, in a college classroom and debate the merits of socialism versus capitalism based on history and so forth? And I think that that would be a very interesting discussion. But, you know, to a lot of people, and especially I think up here where we have an, an older state, that, that the word socialism is a really bad word to a lot of people who witnessed what happened under the name of Marxism or communism or socialism in the 20th century. You know, there's folks that, that fought and their families fought and died against this concept of socialism before. So while to the younger generation, it may be interesting to theoretically dive into things like that, I don't think they understand the political ramifications of talking like that. Well, what about nationalism? I mean, do you, do you see a That's, similar danger in nationalism? Absolutely. And I don't think it's as loaded a term, unfortunately, but I think it should be. I think that's, I don't think socialism is a threat to the United States of America. I don't think we're going to, if, if, even if something happened like the liberal progressive policies like Medicare for all or things like that, if those things went into effect, that's not socialism. Maybe it's technically socialized medicine or whatever, but our country is not you know, in the midst of a Bolshevik revolution or anything like that. So I think if Republicans use the term socialism as as like a boogeyman, they're doing it, you know, cynically or pragmatically for political purposes. But I do believe nationalism is a real threat. And I think it's the the biggest threat that our country faces right now. I think it is, uh, it is, I think an outcropping of the populism that we saw um, kind of take over the Republican Party pre-Trump, but into Trump. I think both sides have have you know play with populism, but what's happened is this right-wing populism has morphed into into a really strong nationalism that um, I, I think preys on people who feel bad about things. But I think it's there are so many latent evils within the concept of nationalism. And we're seeing them play out. We see them play out in Maine. We see them play out nationally. All right. I'm going to stop you there because mm-hmm. I want to just I want to stay on the subject. But I, I, I think we see it play out within the Republican Party in Maine. Mm-hmm. And we have as an example the story that you've been a player in mm-hmm. with regards to the, what is he, the uh, vice chair of the Republican Party and mayor of Waterville, mm-hmm. Nick Isgro. Is yep. that how you pronounce his I name? Isgro. Isgro. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... You have said, I believe, on Harold Patius's show and in other venues that your message, and I'm you know, paraphrasing you, is, is essentially that you want to be clear that the Republican Party is not the home for racists. Mm-hmm. And it seems implicit in that is that it's not the home for white nationalists or white supremacists sure. either. Is that right? Absolutely. Do you believe that the, the, the fissure that we see in the main Republican Party and some of the remarks and comments that you've kind of brought to light that were made by Nick Isgro, is that shedding light on 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 that right here in Maine? I mean, do you think that absolutely? Okay, so talk about that. What what is your concern about some of the uh, expressions that this this guy has had has made? So Isgro's um, both a, um, a kind of a, an example of something that I think is problematic, and he's also a, a case on uh, on his own. Um, I first started kind of going back and forth publicly with him probably about two years ago, I saw a piece that he had written in the paper where he discussed how immigrants needed to essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but leave their cultures at the door and assimilate to the American culture. And I remember reading that and being just struck and angered immediately by that. It reminded me a lot of what uh, the former Lewiston mayor had said one time, and it kind of blew up into a national 
national thing about uh, about Somalian immigrants needing to leave their culture at the door. I, I really don't believe there is an American culture. I, I, I think there are things that you could point out about different sects of our culture or baseball or apple pie or whatever. But I don't, I believe very strongly that we're an amalgamation of all different types of people from all over the world who come here and built this country within the framework of this really amazing constitutional capitalist democracy that we have. And so when when somebody who's who holds power, like the mayor of a city, uh, especially the mayor of a city like Waterville, that is their immigration story is is the story of Waterville. George Mitchell, right? <laughs> exactly right. I mean, and and the um, French Canadian immigration that happened in all these different mill towns. That's that is the main culture. Franco American culture is is half of it or most of it. I mean, we are a, a state and Waterville is a city that is built on the uh, aggregate richness of other cultures that have landed here for opportunity. So when you see, when I saw this story in the paper, I reacted and wrote a piece back saying, wait a minute, this is, co- this is coded language. When we say that we're defending our culture against other cultures, first of all, that has no place in this country. Do you think it was racist? I, 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 I hesitate to use that term, and I normally don't. I'm not afraid of the term racist, and I'll use it when I think. Like, I think a lot of the stuff that Paula Page did when he was office in his office was straight racist. I think that's very clear. I don't think the cultural assimilation thing is racism per se. I think it's fear-mongering, and I think it's dog-whistling to get people to start feeling this, this uh, feeling that we're under attack or that there's a problem there. I think if you go deeper into the other things that Isgro said and the people that he surrounded himself with and the things that he shares online and so forth, I think, yeah, we're into this really bizarre land. Is this your, is this your antidote to Nick Isgro is speaking publicly as a, as a Republican against it? Well, I think it's something that, I, I think it's something that we all need to do. Um, To to say that for the Republican Party to have to make it clear that we're not a home or a haven for white nationalists is a pathetic position to be in. I mean, there's nobody in, in what I would say, you know, if we take a bubble of right and left along the center line of where most people are, most people aren't white nationalists. But we have uh, somehow elected as vice chair of the party, and the people of Waterville have elected a mayor who is not only a white nationalist, but but if you dig into into the history of this guy and the things, if you look at his social media contacts and the pages he follows and the groups he belongs to, it's horrifying stuff. I mean, it's borderline neo-Nazi stuff that he delves into and is entangled with. And, you know, that's different than... Uh, what I would say with like a Paula Page, who I think is like a barstool bigot, you know, like a guy that's, you know, for whatever reason, culturally, he thinks it's okay to, to, to be openly bigoted toward people. I think Nick Isgro is a whole different ball of wax. This is a guy who's very smart. He presents himself very well. He's a good public speaker. But the ideas that he's dealing with are just completely now. Do you think he? Do you think that he actually believes the ideas, or do you think he sees Donald Trump in office and sees a path from his dingy little office in Waterville to Washington on some wave of nationalist white guys, you know, who who stomp around and get people riled up and somehow get elected like the president of the United States? Like, is he a guy who's just saying what he needs to say? 
I don't know. I, I, I couldn't make that judgment. I mean, by the limited information that I have about him, it seems like he does have a really strange belief system. So. Does he have the support of the chair? He does right now. Yeah, he does. And but do I don't. I, I really don't think most Republicans understand who Nick Isgrow is and what his real background is. And that's something that we're starting to discuss more and more publicly because, you know, it's one thing for Republicans right now and Republicans in Maine that are close to the party have this chip on their shoulder about political correctness. And I think it's gone so far overboard. And I think some of it in the initial stages was justified. I mean, we, we have a media and Republicans deal with a media that generally is tilted to the left, or that's historically how it's been. And I think in reaction to that, as the, the media landscape has changed, where people can do podcasts or people can do whatever they want to online, you've got Fox News, you've got talk radio, you've got all these different outlets now for conservatives to, to be heard. I think their reaction to those days where they felt constrained by PC culture has gone so far overboard that they lost the ability to uh, reflect on themselves as part of the overall community. You know, you have this echo chamber of right-wing anger that seems to just get worse and worse all the time to the point now where we've got people like Nick Isgro who, you know, I, I think Nick Isgro, it, it, to, put, to put it in, a, in as clear a way as possible, is closer to the Jackman town manager's belief system than he is to my belief system as a conservative Republican. And I think that the fact that he has ascended to the position that he's in, that he's not being thrown out of the party, um, is, is a reflection of this disconnect with Republicans in general where they can say things like fake news when they hear things that they don't that, that are not flattering about themselves. I want to talk about the news now for a minute. You, you seem to criticize a statement that the representative from Minnesota had made mm -hmm. using an idiom, you know, gets away with murder, mm -hmm. like as that as if that was synonymous with accusing President Obama of being a murderer. That just seemed a little bit like extreme. I don't I don't think so. I listened to that interview a number of times and um, and she made a very logical case that if, if um, basically her point was, yeah, Trump's terrible, but previous administrations like Obama's administration did equally terrible things, and she mentioned specifically drone strikes and, um, and kids in cages, which were both things that occurred during Obama's administration as well. And when she said gets away with murder, and she's talking about drone strikes, I don't think that's an idiom. I think she's being literal, and you know. And you think Congresswoman Pingree should? I don't I know. Should issue a press release, and, and particularly with the, the AOC comments about uh, capitalism being irredeemable. You know, uh, Congresswoman Pingree is signed up along with the Green New Deal and other initiatives that AOC's led on, and she takes pictures with AOC and promotes herself on Twitter and Facebook about in really projecting ideas. She's she's. In ideological lockstep with with this person, and I think it's a really simple question to ask: Does does Congresswoman Pringree believe that that capitalism is irredeemable, um, and and does she believe she she serves in the caucus that Representative um, Omar is is the whip of? Does she believe these same things? Who is not asking those questions? Like, who are you critical of? I think the press. I think the press in Maine. Um, has given Pingree a pass. Look, I, I ran uh, um, Marty Groman's campaign, the independent that ran against Pingree last time. 
And during that campaign, one of the points that we tried to make was with, uh, with military contracting, with the Bath Iron Works and Portsmouth Naval Shipyard and the votes that Pingree has taken against defense authorization bills. And it was so difficult. I mean, this is a quantified over and over again, vote after vote, how she voted against the sole funding mechanism for those yards. And it was so difficult to get press to first understand it and second to go along with the idea that a representative would really vote against the interest of jobs in her own district. But it's, it's overwhelmingly quantifiable that she did, voted this way. Did the BIW, endorse, did the BIW no. unions endorse Pingree? The Pingers? L6 did not endorse her um, this time around, which is also another story. Doesn't she say, if, if I was to ask her, wouldn't she say that those votes actually were part of a huge... Mm -hmm. military budget and her vote against the large military budget was more a vote against ongoing wars that she didn't support mm -hmm. and like broader absolutely. and and wasn't it like absolutely unlikely that any of these I mean isn't a vote on a budget basically a useless vote anyway I mean contract well, well, I mean, I it seems I mean, like it's a, I understand what you're every, saying. If you, you could pick apart every say. line. But if you, but if there's one bill, the, 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 the point is she was on the losing end of all those votes. And so, but if she had been on the winning end of it, nothing would be billed at Bath Ironworks. And so I think it's an interesting door you open there with that question because it means that she's, that her votes are throwaway, that she can vote against Bath Ironworks symbolically knowing that everybody else in the Congress is going to counteract her, her vote. So do you think when Susan Collins votes for um, a, a, you know, I don't know, a, for the budget that she's in support of every single I mean I just think we don't have a lot of time mm -hmm. to delve into it but it just right. struck me as maybe playing two sides of the issue in terms of political correctness that you mm -hmm. want Congressman Pingree to like censure or somehow no, I, think I don't she know side her constituents know how she stands on these things well she takes a vote I mean she votes well, on all these her issues votes are, are not our throwaway votes I mean right if that's what she's saying on Bath Ironworks I mean she's willing to take a stand and take a vote against workers in her own district to prove whatever she wants to prove about the war or whatever her belief systems are. If she does that, shouldn't she be willing to weigh in on whether capitalism is irredeemable? Yeah, but has anyone asked her the question no, of cap? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, so so I, I have, I'll, maybe this will be a good uh, reason for Congresswoman woman Pingree to join me on my podcast to answer the question whether capitalism is redeeming. Yeah. Well, Lance Stetson, thank you so much. If people want to get a hold of you or learn more about you, how do they do that? Um, they can go to my website, Bangor Daily News, which is lancedudson.bangordailynews.com. Thanks, Lance. All right. Thanks for having me.